Welcome to The Dish, the culinary travel podcast focusing on the stories behind world-famous foods. We are your hosts, Tom and Megzi from foodfuntravel.com. Join us for tasty histories, destination food guides, and more. In the third part of our Tapas feature triple episode... Tapas or not, we discover other small plates from around Spain that are not necessarily tapas, pinchos, montaditos, and more. Yep, the story of Pa'am Tomike, Catalonia's favorite simple tapas dish. Plus our favorite top 10 ever Spanish tapas dishes. Everybody, it's part three of tapas. But the choices today are they tapas or are they not tapas? I guess yes. we can have a bit of a chat about that. Yeah, we're going to talk about a few of the different regions of that are still currently Spain, um, but perhaps don't necessarily want to be so much. And they've got their own little, you know, unique versions that it's like, yeah, as we said, is it tapas or is it just something completely different? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, back in part one on tapas, we talked about the historical origins of tapas and the word tapas and some very sort of standard tapas dishes that you might find you go to Spain. So that's a good introduction if you want to get started on the history side of things. If you want to hear some stories about the like four of the most famous dishes, that was part two. We talked about patatas bravas which is a super famous potato dish, croquetas, which is the Spanish croquettes. We also talked about albondigas, Spanish meatballs, and we talked about gazpacho, the Spanish cold soup. Mm, but let's be honest, this is a trilogy, so it's always best to start from the beginning. Yeah. You can listen to them as like independent episodes, that's completely fine, but it just kind of makes a little bit more sense if you start at one, go to number two, and here we are at number three. There we go. Yep, everything's set up so you can just listen to one, two, or three, but yeah, start at one. Makes more sense. Yeah. Do it, do it, do it. All right. So today we are talking about a different sort of tapas because it's not called tapas. Talking about some other small plate dishes from Spain that have some different names that come from some different regions. And the first one we're going to talk about is pinchos. Pinchos. Pinchos, which is from the Basque country in North Spain, which is where you'll find San Sebastian. If you're a super foodie, you will know San Sebastian is one of the most famous food cities in the world. Mm-hmm. So, that is somewhere that you do have to go on a, on a pilgrimage. It's like the mecca of foodies right now, I think. We've been trying to get there for so long. Yeah, it just so hasn't worked long. out, sadly. It's not worked out. But we San Sebastian Tourism Board, if you're listening to this, <laughs> yeah. we are open and ready. It's very much next on our Spain list because we've done a lot of different areas in Spain. But we have not done there and we have not done Galicia which is north of Portugal. So those two regions are the places we're still trying to get to. So Galicia, if you're listening, invite us. San Sebastian, invite us. We all come and eat lots of wonderful food, do podcasts about it, and talk about some of these amazing dishes. But anyway, yes, today, pinchos, derived from the word pincho, which literally means spike in Spanish, but it can also refer to a skewer, brochette, or toothpick. Aha! And in the context of the culinary world, Pinchos is definitely talking about like a little toothpick or wooden skewer that they use to skewer the food and to hold it together. Yeah. So the thing that I remember from having pinchos is the height. And it seems like the higher you can get, 
the food to stand using this wooden stick is like the more like amazing that the pinchos is. So there's like two different types of pinchos. There's the first type of pinchos, which is basically it's just stuff on a stick. So you have things like olives, pickles, anchovies, maybe just on a stick. And then you just bite them straight off the little skewer and that's it. Uh, The really common sort that you see a lot now around Spain that's a bit more modern is a slice of bread, like a big, not big, but like a regular like slice of baguette type bread or some sort of rusticy bread, perhaps. The slice of bread like from a bruschetta. Yeah. Half the size of your palm sort of piece of bread. And they basically stack it with different ingredients. And those ingredients are all supposed to mix together perfectly that you get a great bite when you yeah, bite into the Yeah, but it's pigeons. all about height. Yeah, they do like to do height. They have some that are flatter. They have some that are taller. The tall ones are like people really showing off. Yeah. So they're like, how many ingredients can I stack on top? And I've got this little skewer to hold everything up. So that is fun when you get them, but that's definitely like a modern interpretation of showing off. Yeah. It was before that, it would have been much simpler. And there's still lots of simple versions you can get as well. But yeah, I feel like the Pinchos has evolved from some very humble beginnings that we'll go into as we talk about this topic uh, to now often represent like this perfect bite of flavor combinations from popular Spanish ingredients. Unlike tapas, so this is, it really isn't the same as tapas, uh, it's normally not shared between friends at all. You order a Pinchos, that's your Pinchos. Because of mm. course you're biting into one thing and then you'd be sharing with other people's mouths. So that's why. You're not like cutting a little bit off. You also kind of don't want that sitting on top of your glass either. No, no. So the, uh, the original thing we talked about in episode one about a tapper being the top, a top for a glass, maybe being the history of it. Yeah, You'd end up with yeah. breadcrumbs in your wine and it, like that defeats the point. <laughs> Trying to keep stuff out of your drink. Exactly. That was the idea. So yeah, no, this was definitely not invented in order to be a top for a drink to stop sand and stuff getting in it. Definitely not. Uh, We'll go into the origin very shortly. But uh, it's similar to tapas in the sense that it is always supposed to be had with a drink or aperitif of some sort. Mm -hmm. You're going to have it with some sort of alcoholic beverage. You are not supposed to just go up to the counter because they often have these just lined along a counter. You don't necessarily order them. You sometimes you can order them, but you go to a pinchos bar, buffet style. Yeah, it's more like a buffet of pinchos, and you just go and collect them all. Tourists often think that it's like, okay, I can just stack my plate full of pinchos and then I've got a full dinner. That apparently is definitely a faux pas. You're not supposed to be doing that. Sorry. You can do that and you can like, and a lot of restaurants now do sort of promote that to tourists because they're obviously making money out of it. It's like the Spanish aperitivo, isn't it? Yeah. So it's something that you can do, but the original essence of this was to take like one piece, have a drink enjoy a little taste, and then do it again, and then go out for dinner afterwards. And this is the same style as tapas in that sense, that you're having a snack with a drink, maybe before dinner. Or maybe yeah. you don't go out, maybe you just sit drinking all night and just keep snacking, and, and then you're fine. Yeah. I'm normally fine with that. So, yeah, if you do want to go out and grab a few, like maybe just grab like two or three, and then keep getting up and going back. Don't just fill up your whole plate like, um, like a cruise ship buffet. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah, one to two with each drink is sort of the common way of doing it. But what they do is they check your plate at the end and they count the amount of toothpicks you have on the plate or the amount of little dishes that you'd picked up. Mm -hmm. And then they charge you based on the amount of toothpicks you have. 
So it's like, it's more of an honor system. So you can take as much as you want and then they just charge you. It's not like it's free food. It's not free food every time you buy a drink. No, no. Yeah. It's this like, okay, so how many did you have? All right, cool. We've counted that. This is your bill. Yeah. So that sort of thing. That's how it works. So from what we learned in episode one, it seems like the tapas tradition was already in full force around Spain, at least in the 19th century, possibly before. There was a lot of contention about exactly when it started. But- This is definitely before when pinchos became a thing, because they only started to arrive on tables in the 1940s. Mm. This is a a very new thing. Now, this started in San Sebastian. It's another reason for its culinary fame uh, in the Basque country. And during the 1920s and 1930s, it, of course, was already common to enjoy a few drinks. If you went out in town, maybe you'd gone shopping for the day, and then you have a few drinks before you go home. There were lots and lots of cider houses because North Spain, although everyone thinks Spain is just a wine country, actually North Spain is really famous for cider, Mm -hmm. but tourists probably don't really realize it or drink it. But yeah, so the sidra, sidra is the, they grow apples in the North of Spain and they make cider. So they had cider houses and they had bodegas where you could drink wine or sherry or whatever. And after the Spanish Civil War finished up in 1939, because this has obviously disrupted lots of things. We talked about this in a previous episode as well. The habit of bar hopping rather than just staying in one place actually started to be a thing. So like a bar food crawl or at least a bar drinking crawl by 1940s, early 1940s was a, yeah, this is something that people do. Yeah. So because bars realized that people were going to go to more than one place, they started incentivizing visitors to come to their place by putting out little food things, little bites, little snacks that they could grab at the bar whilst they're ordering their drink and then they could go and eat. And just eat their little snack. And the very first pinchos were based off something called the bandaria, which refers to the bullfighter's sword. That's his sword is called the bandaria. Oh. Hence, like pincho being a spike and like this is a sword. So it's like a sword that they put stuff on. Yep. But it's like a toothpick that they put stuff on. So the very first stuff, and at this point it probably wasn't called pinchos, was like maybe some pickled vegetables or olives on a stick, basically. Yeah. And that's the sort of stuff they were giving away for free. Easy, cheap food to get the punters in. Salty. Salty food to make them drink more. Everyone knows this trick <laughs> yeah. by this point, by the 1940s. Now, the most famous pinchos of the time, like probably the thing that really started the pinchos movement becoming a thing, is called the Gilda. And it's said to be inspired by the 1946 film of the same name. There's like a film noir about this femme fatale lady. Gilda. And none of the information actually explains why it's called after this film. But I'm assuming maybe because she was a femme fatale doing film noir that she was maybe drinking a martini that had like olives and pickles on a stick or something. Mm. And she was eating them seductively and... This is my assumption. I can't actually find a reason why it's called that, but they are definitely called that. They're still called that today. People refer to them that uh, as like a slang form or whatever. This dish is just a toothpick with anchovy, an olive, and a hot spicy pepper on it. Okay. Very simple. Just those three things. So you've got the salty, double salty, and spicy. And that's it. And they were selling this for about the equivalent of two cents per stick. So if you weren't getting them for free, they then started creating the situation, well, now you pay per stick, it's two cents. So it's like it started out being a grab a little snack when you buy a drink. Maybe then it's like, well, this is costing us money. Let's just start charging us people a little bit of money. Maybe some places were giving them away for free as well. But apparently like, yeah, two cents for a little stick. 
That's how they're doing it. So then things started to move on a little bit. And from the 1960s, the name Pinchos begins to actually start gaining popularity. So more complicated offerings start to appear and the idea spreads to other parts of the Basque country. And that's it. It just like sort of becomes this thing where people are like, all right, well, this little snack that we're giving out, this makes sense. We can upsell people on the snack or we can give it away to free to get them in, like one or the other. Both things may be happening, but it mainly seems like they're starting to charge people for this. So that sort of differs from the original tapas thing. Into the 80s and 90s, Pinchos develops to be more than just the little snacks at the bar and becomes these miniature works of art where you are stacking things on top. Now, what they apparently, the concept was, they wanted to create a representation of the main course dishes that they served in the bar or restaurant to give people like one taste of what it's like. Ah. So it's like they've taken all the elements of a dish and they've stacked it on a piece of bread or they've stacked it on a stick and then you get that one taste and you go like, oh yeah, that's a good combo. Yeah, I'm going to order the main dish. Yeah. So that was the idea. And we talked about that in episode one of like tapas being a way to encourage people to buy a main dish exactly, later on. Exactly, yeah. So maybe that comes from the same sort of concept. Um, I don't know, but apparently that's what they started doing in the 80s and 90s. And at the same time, they were also starting to introduce this like stuff stacked on a piece of bread vertically with a skewer straight down through the bread to hold everything together. And that starts to become a thing sort of like in the 90s. Okay. Because we even did, when we were there, we did a Pinchos making class Mm -hmm. and we were very much encouraged to make it as beautiful as possible and as high as possible. I actually think you won that little- Mine was very high. It was very- (laughs) (laughs) I did cheat a little bit. I I cheated in a smart way. So I still had to, and it was a good combo. I did- I did the crazy combo and the dude who actually was running the class said, this won't work. And I'm like, trust me, I've had this combination of flavors before. This is going to work. Chorizo with pesto, sun-dried tomato and anchovy mm-hmm. on one piece of bread. And he's like, those flavors are all intense. They're really intense flavors. They're all salty flavors. That is going to be too much. I'm like, no, it's not. And he ate it and he went, I'm putting this on the menu. Sir, I have been proven wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Senor, I have been proven wrong. You are correct. These flavors do work together. I was like, yes, I have done this before. Just not on a pinch us. No. So that was very tasty. That was a tasty combo. If you guys want to try making that at home, super simple. But yeah, salty, salty. But it's, I like salty, salty. It's like the sun-dried tomato sort of just, it cuts through a bit of the saltiness because it has that sort of sweet oiliness as well. Yeah. So it does actually just about work. And because all the three flavors of pesto, anchovy, and chorizo are so strong, they're like equally strong. Yeah. So one doesn't actually yeah, like- Because they're so strong. Yeah. Everything's strong and it works. Yeah. There's not one that just takes over. They actually all just sort of have their own, they all just like have their own element against each other. And it's like, we work, we work. You won't be seeing that on menus, except maybe at this one place. And if he's making a lot of money off that now, I want some credit. <laughs> but uh, We'll go back and it'll be called the Tom. Yeah. <laughs> that would be awesome. But yeah, so the bread thing started to happen around about that point. So actually, the original Pinchos has been going for like 40 years before that, just being like a few things on a stick. Yeah. And then this has turned into this miniature artworks, trying to make them as tall as possible or as fancy as possible or whatever. Into the 21st century, it's only at this point, at the start of the 21st century, that Pinchos is starting to gain this nationwide sort of popularity. And we were there in 2014, and by that point, outside of Basque Country, like, 
you could find us pretty easily. And now going there more recently in 2019, it's everywhere. Pinchos is like the thing. It's so simple. I mean, it's just stuff stacked on a bit of bread. So like anyone can make this. Yeah, yeah. Like you don't even need to hire a chef. You just need to hire a teenager and tell them which ingredients to put on. <laughs> it's not really that hard to it's make. It's like a subway assembly line. Yeah. But it, I mean, it's tasty and it's an awesome snack. And so San Sebastian became the world-renowned food destination in the last 20 years. And the Pinchos has maintained its place both in the regular sort of bars, but also apparently they've made it into fine cuisine as well now. So these fancy, perfect miniature little bites are things that you will find. As we said, we haven't been there to San Sebastian specifically yet, so we need someone to invite us. But yeah, sounds pretty cool. Um, but we did enjoy Pinchos in other parts of the country whilst we were there. And so yeah, although Pinchos may be something you can now order off a menu and be like, I want this one, the, definitely the more old school places, they just have it on the bar and you use the honesty system where you are, you're eating as many as you want and then they count up the skewers at the end and they charge you. Maybe the top of the skewer has a little colored piece of plastic on it so that they know what price that item was. Yeah, it's like your sushi plates. Yeah, it's like your sushi plates. Same sort of thing. So, yeah, um, there's really simple ones like pinchos just with bread, uh, with the bread topped with a bit of chorizo or maybe a bit of sausage with sweet peppers. The one I had in Caddy in the south of Spain was just with manchego with roasted red peppers and an anchovy. That was an awesome combination. Mm -hmm. Salty, salty and sweet together. Um, yeah. So many possibilities. There's hundreds of them. So just go out and explore the Pinchos world because it's fantastic. So do we think Pinchos is tapas? Do we think it's inspired by tapas? Like, What's the verdict here? No, because as we were discussing in episode one, the definition of tapas is the top is to top. And I mean, they're topping, they're putting toppings. That's different. No, I, I think it's, it's a different thing altogether. Yeah, it's small little bites, but... I think it's a completely different thing altogether. Yeah. No, I'd agree. It's not tapas. It's pinchos. Yeah. It's a snack with a drink, but it's not tapas. No, it's not tapas. And yeah, the fact that you don't share, and that's like one of the biggest things about tapas is that you share. You it's get a whole a bunch of plates. Thing. Everyone takes a little bite. You also wouldn't go from bar to bar having pinchos. No, maybe not as much, but they do. I mean, you can. Um, yeah, but I think. Mm. It's a part of the culture. To, that was the origin of doing the pinchos was when people were starting to move from bar to bar and bar hopping rather than staying in one place. But what we did, because we were tourists and stupid, was we went and had loads of pinchos and then went, now I'm full. Yeah, true. We just did it wrong. But I mean, it's different when you're doing this outside of the Basque country, because I'm sure if we were in the Basque country, it's easier to just bar hop. Whereas in the region we were in, it was like, well, if you leave the Pinchos bar, you're going to go to a tapas bar because yeah, exactly. it's not a Pinchos region. I guess so. that's probably what's in my head because I, I didn't recall being that many Pinchos bars that you could bar hop. No, but, but that's because we, we, we were in Catalonia, which is, although adjacent to Basque country, it's not, yeah. it's not the same culture. And we'll talk a little bit about Catalonia uh, shortly. But before that, let's move on to another maybe tapas, another small plate, the Montedito. Montedito. Monteditos. Now, I mean, I first heard about this, and probably in the same way as a lot of tourists to Spain hear about this, uh, from this chain called 100 Monteditos. Yes. And I was like, it's super so, cheap. Yeah, what is this? Yeah. What is going on here? Now, essentially, it's very similar to the Pinchos concept. It's an open faced sandwich, it's a slice of bread with something on top of it, but they don't put a skewer in it, which is why it's not called Pinchos. Because 
there's no skewer. Yep. So there's no pincho, there's no spike. Yeah, super similar. But Montaditos actually come from the south of Spain around Andalusia. And they appear to have evolved independently. They don't seem to be based off pinchos. It wasn't like a rip off of pinchos. It's just like, hey, I got a bit of bread. I'm going to put some stuff on top of it and sell it. Why not? Mm-hmm. It's a simple concept. I mean, it's not like that shouldn't have evolved independently. Didn't have to steal it off anybody else. I don't have an exact date for when this happened. I, I couldn't find a huge amount of history on it. A bit complicated with that, but the focus of the food is that it's cheap and easy. It's like a studenty food. And the actual word, montadito, is based off the verb montar, which means to ride or mount. So montadito is derived from the idea that ingredients are mounted on little slices of bread. Mm-hmm. So similar sort of concept, uh, concept to the pinchos, but this is montaditos. And 100 montaditos uh, is a chain that's all over the place. And I believe it's because they have at least 100 varieties of Montadito. Yeah. I think that's the, why the concept is that. I never counted the menu, but I assumed that's why, because it's a big menu. It is a really big menu. I don't know if it's 100 worth. I don't know. No, I'll have to I check know. next it time we're a, back. Now I'm wondering. I it, should have counted. It was a big menu. But of course, this concept, I don't know. I don't think the brand invented the concept necessarily, but they've just made it a student chain that everyone who's got no money is like, this is a cheap place to go out. Yeah. Nice and easy, cheap beers, cheap food. But you can get these in lots of little bars around Andalusia as well. So if you're not going out for tapas, you can have Montaditos. Some of the tapas bars now do Montaditos. So does that make them tapas? Because no. they're served in tapas bars? No. And then they're not tapas? I don't know. They're served Once again, the- you don't really share them, do you? No, you don't share them. Probably, unless you're a really poor student and sharing one Montadito for one euro yeah, total that's between a bit the two. Sad, of you. But you know, uh, hey. that's not dinner. That's that's half a dinner. That's, yeah, it's not even half a dinner. So I don't know. But still, yeah, that's another little snack that you can find. A little alternative to regular tapas is just go and find those little southern style open face sandwiches. All right. Now, we mentioned Catalonia a couple of times, which is, of course, the region where Girona and Barcelona are. Now, they don't have, that I could find, a specific tapas style like these other two that we've just talked about. But I did want to talk about one of their most famous dishes that you could say is tapas, because it's like something that you, you get served as a snack at a lot of places. So this is called pa am tomake probably pronounce that very rad. Uh, pa am tomake, which is Catalonian, not Spanish, which might, it might sound a little, a little strange, but it's basically bread and tomato with these specific little tomatoes that they have there. Oh, I remember this. And they're very, very proud of it. Mm. Um, so pretty much you take your piece of bread and then you take your ripe tomato mm-hmm. and you rub the tomato all over the bread. Give it a good smushing. All over that bread. And then what is it? You, olive oil? Olive oil, of course. Salt. And salt. And optionally, you can rub the bread with garlic before you rub the tomato on if you want a garlicky version. But that is definitely optional. That's not enforced in any way. So yeah, super simple. And this dish, it really seems to form like an everyday part of life in Catalonian region, which also includes the Balearic Islands uh, they're, they're not Catalonia now, but like Ibiza, Mallorca, and Menorca used to be part of Catalonia. Now they're sort of semi-autonomous. So there's still influences going yeah, on there. because they had this dish. This was a thing. It's definitely been part of it. So you'll get it there. But 
definitely going around uh, Barcelona if you go into local taverns and cafes and restaurants rather than tourist ones. And of course, there's a lot of tourist ones. So you've got to get out to the neighborhoods if you want to find something super local. We found a lot of this stuff sort of in Barcelona province. So just getting outside of the city. Yeah, Barcelona province, but also any of the districts in Barcelona city that are outside the tourist area. So you can go out to Gracia, maybe just get away from Las Ramblas, which is the central tourist street. Get away from those sort of really touristy cruise ship destinations. Do you know if this is a dish that's only available at certain times of year when like there's like this particular tomato is at its best? From what I understand, these days it's available all year round. Now, the specific type of tomato that we were instructed with at the market and told that this is the tomato that you should use, I'm guessing when that's not available, they just put up with using a different tomato. Yeah. That's my impression. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But that seemed to be what was going on. It's like, this is the best one. This is the one you should use. But this is also a dish that we eat pretty much every day. It's like, as a, as a cheap dish, this is something we eat every day. I mean, essentially, they're using up old bread. Yeah. They're revitalizing slightly old bread that's dried well, out by rubbing it? it with tomato. It was quite a popular thing that you could go at like 10 a.m. in the morning to this little like hole in the wall sort of place. And you could either have this or you could have the like the bread that had like an anchovy on it with your little glass of kava. Yeah. And that was like your mid-morning snack. That's a good snack. Like but second breakfast. Apparently, you're allowed to eat this dish pretty much any time of the day. Mm-hmm. This is not a breakfast only or second breakfast only sort of dish. So, yeah, it's just something that people have all the time. Yeah. I mean, it's like us having bread on the side of a meal, but this is like an advanced bread that uses up yesterday's bread. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's smart. So, although the origin of this dish is slightly disputed because it's also very popular down the east coast of Spain through like Valencia and Murcia. Most people believe that it was Catalonia that sort of started this and then it spread from there. The, the information is not 100% definite. But everyone's letting them have it. <laughs> yeah. They're I, so proud of it. They're like, let them have it. There's no evidence, but it's fine. They can have it. It's so popular that I got a really cool quote from this restauranter from, a Catalan, from part of uh, Catalonia called Luis Cranos. He is quoted as saying, in Catalonia, the first thing you taste after the baby bottle is pa am tomake. <laughs> this is like, yeah, as soon as you're off the tea, this is what you eat. Yep. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. It, yeah, it is. It's just, it's the baseline food that just people have. So, obviously, it's a really, really simple dish. And what you often will find in the restaurant is they will even bring you the constituent parts and you make your own. So, if you want garlic, you add garlic. If you want more tomato, you add more tomato. If you want lots of olive oil, you add it. Yeah. They don't bring it pre-made because it's got to be fresh. No, I think that, yeah, I like that. I think the joy is making it yourself exactly yeah. the way you want it. And you just rub all of that tomatoiness, all of the pulp into the bread, making it nice and soft. You get rid of the skin. And yeah, it's, it softens up the bread. It works perfectly. Yep. Super add a little smart. bit of salt to give it some kick. Yes. That nice, zesty Spanish olive oil. Oh. Mm-hmm. Proper fresh olive oil. You haven't lived unless you've had good olive oil. Exactly. So, I did manage to find some information that could suggest an origin, or at least the first written recipe. Uh, It could be as old as the 18th century, or it could be late 19th century, around 1884. There's a few different claims. I couldn't find the original sources online, which is why I can't confirm the dates for sure. So, this is just sort of like 
my historic conjecture based on other people's opinions that they've written about. Mm -hmm. But the idea is sometime in that period, obviously by that point, tomatoes had become a crop in, in Spain. That was a thing. They'd reached Spain easily by that time. And the idea would be that one year they had some bumper harvest of tomatoes that was so crazy. They had so many tomatoes. They're like, what are we going to do with all of these? And they just went, ugh, just rub it on some bread. It sounds like a lazy stoner way of cooking. <laughs> Doesn't it? Just yeah. like, oh, we've got loads of tomatoes. We've got loads of old bread. Yeah, I can't be bothered to do anything with this. Just rub the tomatoes <laughs> on the bread. Because <laughs> it's like with gazpacho soup that we talked about in the last episode, they grind up the bread into breadcrumbs, the old bread, and then they grind up the tomatoes and they make a soup out of this. And this was like, no, just rub it on the bread. <laughs> just just rub enough. it on. I'm just hungry now. <laughs> yeah, it's like ultimate student cooking. It was like, it was like yeah, but it's delicious. It is delicious. So I can't really criticize that. No, no, no. It's- yeah. It may have been lazy cooking or it may have just been like, damn, we've got so much tomato as well. You know, well, we've got bread. Just rub it on that. See what happens. That will soften up the bread. Like, it's not too much of a stretch, is it? Yeah. I I can just imagine, though, like a group of old Catalonian farmers just sitting around, like old guys drinking wine, reminiscing about that year. They had so so many tomatoes that they rubbed them all over their bread. (laughs) Like, oh, yes. uh, Yeah. You remember we rubbed a... Robert, that's the wrong accent. This is an it's Italian. It's totally wrong accent. So it's an Italian farmer now. Is it? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> but <laughs> I could imagine them just sitting around and be like, yeah, what? <laughs> and all the wives like calling them idiots and be like, why are you rubbing tomatoes on bread? <laughs> and they're like, because we're sitting here drinking. Like, this sounds like male cooking, doesn't it? It does a bit. This it sounds th- like something that they just made when the wife was away visiting yeah. family. Yeah, I think the the ladies would have cooked up something a bit more impressive, but the guys are just like, ugh, she's off. She's somewhere <laughs> else. What are we going to do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the wives are like, why are you doing that? They're like, well, it's tasty. Taste it. And they're like, oh, okay. You're still an idiot, but th- this is okay. This is- we'll eat it. <laughs> so, yeah. That is the crazy, well, not world of Catalonian tapas, but I consider that sort of a Catalonian tapas. I don't know whether they refer to it as a tapas or not. Obviously, they have a tapas culture in Catalonia based on a lot of the dishes that you'll find all around Spain. Mm, Definitely. Yeah, I don't know. But I wouldn't say that when you get tapas, that is a a dish that is included in the menu. No, that doesn't sound like a standard. And it's definitely, yeah, more that region. It's not something that's become... Everywhere. All right. So, finally, for this final part of Tapas, episode three of Tapas. I mean, there might be an episode four one day, and we'll do an extension with some other Tapas dishes. Yeah, that would be great. I mean, there's so many. We didn't even talk about, was it the spinach with chickpeas? Well, that's coming up. Oh. Because the final segment today, we are talking about our top ten favorite tapas dishes that we've had in Spain ever. And of course, if you want to get this full list with like all the locations and everything, do head to the article, foodfundravel.com slash tapas podcast. And then you will be able to see some photos of these things. And you can click on the Google Maps links and find out where these restaurants are. This is not tapas from one particular city. This is literally all of the trips we've done to Spain. We sort of done a roundup of the things that we like the most. I'm going to start with this. This is in no particular order. This is not like a... No, I can't choose. No. I can't choose what's best. This is all good. First one we're going to talk about 
very briefly. It's going to be a bit of a lightning round with these. Carriada de cerdo en tinto, which is it's pork cheeks cooked in red wine sauce. Mm-hmm. Slow cooked so they get nice and soft. We had the best version of this that I've tried at La Bodeguita de Plusia in Cadiz on the south coast. Uh, this is really a classic tapas. This is something you'll find in quite a few different restaurants. Uh, this tapas bar specifically was specializing in Iberico pork cooked in many different ways. Yeah. So they had uh, Iberico jamón. They had the uh, solmillo in whiskey, the, the whiskey sauce pork yeah. loin as well, like the pork medallions. Like, But yeah, their thing was we have really good Iberico pork and we're going to cook it in all these different ways. And they weren't kidding. No. Nah. Because this was an excellent version of this. Like, the pork cheeks were so soft and melty in the mouthy and super rich wine sauce. Really, really nice. So, it's just really good balance between the sauce and the meat. And, yeah, I like this best with the pork cheeks because we had it with beef cheeks in Madrid. I don't think that was anywhere near as good. No, the pork cheeks was much better. I mean, obviously, it's also down to the cooking method, but the beef cheeks were so heavy. It was, like, big, big chunks of beef cheek. Yeah. Because... They have bigger cheeks. (laughs) I don't know why they use that much meat in the dish, but yeah, it was like heavy, 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 heavy. So yeah, there's no real history for this dish because it's pork and wine and garlic. I mean, people have been making this since they had pork and wine and garlic. Yeah. It's like the first combination that you'd think up. It's a Spanish thing. They've got all those things. They do them all really well. They do. All right. The second one is octopus in ragu at Loli. Restaurant in Triana Market in Seville. This is something that still makes us drool, and we had this oh years God, yes. ago. It was just like the perfectly cooked octopus tentacle that was like nice and soft on the inside, but kind of like crispy on the tip. Yeah. It was really well made. Crunchy tentacle outsidey bits. Yeah. With awesome octopus. And if you're an octopus fan, this is an, a must to add to your foodie list because it was so good. Yeah. I mean, with this list, we're not talking just about the really obvious tapas. So, as we mentioned in episode one, getting octopus in the Galician style with boiled potatoes and paprika, that's really standard. You'll find that everywhere. And that's like a boiled octopus, whereas this is like a pan-finished, pan-seared octopus mixed with a ragu made with tomatoes and zucchini. Yeah. And that is weird and rare and awesome. I'd never seen this on a menu anywhere else. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but I'm just saying like, damn. It was delish. Yeah. Really good combo. All right. Next one is the chorizo filled button mushrooms at Maison de Champignon. We walked past this place so many times. And because it's sort of in like a touristy area, it's right across from like the main tourist touristy market. And we never have walked in there, but we went on a tour with Devour Tours in Madrid and they took us in there. And this is probably like one of the best mushrooms I've ever had in my life. It's just a single perfect bite. Like the the salty, awesome meaty chorizo with these perfectly cooked mushrooms that, you know, you know when the mushroom is just grilled just right? Yeah. The second you bite in, it literally oozes every mushroomy liquid bit. Onto your tongue and you're like, yes, and the, yes, yes. The way that you eat this is, is quite tricky because it's got like a lot of like searing hot oil and everything and fat and everything right in the, in the, in the cup, in the cup of the mushroom. <laughs> yeah. So you get two toothpicks, one on each side of the mushroom and you've got to pick it up with the two toothpicks and kind of just try and get it in your mouth without spilling all of the 
everything down the front of you. It's a fun art. It's a fun art, but oh my goodness, the flavors were amazing. It's a perfect bite. We talked about uh, this restaurant because it's a really interesting story behind the restaurant back in the Madrid episode, season two, episode 26. So do check that out if you want to know a little bit more about that. But yeah, I mean, obviously stuffed mushrooms are a really common tapas item, but they really nailed this, their version of it. Because it wasn't like stuffed stuffed. It was just like liquidy, juicy, oily, chorizo-y stuff. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like firm, meaty stuffing. It was just, yeah. Gooey, not, it's not gooey, liquidy, liquidy, tasty wonder. Loved it. All right. The next one made the list as one of my favorites. Meg didn't get to try this. She's going to be very upset because this is one of the best ones I had. So this is the Berenjinas Rellenas con Gambas at Blanca Paloma in Seville. So this is an eggplant stuffed with prawns mm. and then deep fried, breaded deep fried. It's sort of like this mix between a stuffed eggplant thing, which of course is quite a common way of doing stuff. They just like stuff a bit of eggplant with some meat or something. But this one's with prawns and it's almost like a croquetta. I have to sense. point out how proud I am of you of how far you've come with liking eggplant. Yes. Or Courge- is it courgette? No. Aubergine. Aubergine. In England. Aubergine. Because when we met, you were not a big fan. And I'm like, give it a chance. And you're like, I don't think so. I'm like, give it a try. And you're like, no. And I'm like, come on. And now it's one of your favorite tapas dishes. Uh, this excellent. is an excellent tapa. Because the prawns like in this little creamy sort of sauce. Almost like a bechamel sort of sauce. So, yeah, as I said, it's like a croquette mixed with a stuffed eggplant it's coated in breadcrumbs deep fried and you bite into it and then you get the prawn in the middle so it's, it's a salty seafoody thing with just everything comes together i really really like that and i haven't seen that on many menus because normally when you get stuffed eggplants yeah it's stuffed with like minced beef and it's yeah. sauce. that's like the standard stuffed eggplant sort of thing so yeah much cooler version of that next up pimentos de piquillo rellenos and this is one that Meg will not like because it is very seafoody, and she doesn't like extremely seafoody food. I do not. This is prawn and cod that's been minced into a paste and stuffed inside piquillo peppers. Piquillo peppers are traditionally grown in the north of Spain, near the town of Lodusa. They are a pepper that is 100% sweet, zero heat in there at all, so it doesn't interfere with the seafood. It doesn't overpower in any sense because it's just... Just a sweet pepper. We had this. Well, I had this because she didn't really want to eat it. <laughs> at Casa Gonzalez in Madrid. And the puree they make with the cod and the prawns. They had some different spices and paprika to that. It's just this really rich, beautiful combination of seafood. And yeah, peppers are super soft. I don't know. It's great. I, I don't think I can describe it more than that. It, it's a really nice one to try. All right, moving on to more dishes that Meg doesn't really like, but I really do like. <laughs> I know. There's like more seafoody stuff. Yeah, the seafoody stuff is my thing. Although I think, I think you do like this when you, when you get it and it's really good. So properly cooked Spanish calamari, the calamaris. Yes. Yeah, when it's really cooked nicely Super and it's fresh. not too thick. Sometimes, especially in Cadiz, they made it really thick. Thick, and I'm like, this is too much for me. But for me, I'm like, that's you the loved it. Best calamari. Yeah, you absolutely loved it. Because when it's really thin, and there's this little, I don't know if people know this already, but calamari is actually a very slightly distinct, different species from squid. But a lot of the time on menus in the US, Australia, UK, when it says 
calamari rings, it's squid. And squid is not quite as soft as calamari, in my opinion. But it also comes down to the fact that they're importing it, and so it's been frozen for months, and it's probably just refried, deep fried from a packet. So that doesn't help. Whereas here, it's fresh calamari rings. We're at this place at the municipal market in Cadiz. It's called DKY Triduria de Pescados y Miriscos. Basically, they fry fish and seafood. That's what the yep, that's what the names mean. Yeah, that's they what they do, do. They do what it says on the sign. It's a market stall <laughs> yeah. at the market. So they do one type of cooking. They deep fry everything and they do it really well. Because when you've got that really fresh calamari, and yet I like it because it's thick, chunky rings rather than tiny, skinny rings. Because then like, if it's skinny rings, it's all bread. And that's probably why you like it. It's all breading or batter. Whereas I like it because I can taste the calamari. <laughs> That's what I want. So this was perfect. But to be fair to them, I've actually had perfect calamari at quite a few different locations. It's just this was the most recent one. Yeah. Spain, when they're doing it proper fresh, they do calamari the best. I've just never tasted it done as well anywhere else. They fry it for the exact length of time that it needs to be fried. It goes a little crispy on the outside, but the middle is soft and you bite into it. There's no chewiness. Calamari that dissolves in your mouth. If you've never had that, you've been eating the wrong calamari. Go to Spain. It's fantastic. All right. This next one is definitely one that Meg was a big fan of. Uh, It's called Lomo con Col. And we had this at Mercat 1930 in Palma de Mioca. And it's essentially, it is the cabbage wraps with pork loin and sobrasada, which is Mallorcan chorizo wrapped inside the cabbage and then like stewed for ages and topped with little bits of pine nuts and dried fruits and a little bit of mosia, which is a blood sausage. But you can skip the blood sausage if you're really squeamish, but trust me, it's fine. Yeah, it was fine. Yeah, but um, I know you enjoyed this because you like cabbage wraps. I do. I pretty much love everything wrapped in cabbage. I should have been born in like Eastern Europe, I think, because I love all of these cabbage wrapped stewed things. I, I don't know what it is. I just love it. Yeah. No. And it's an awesome combination because it's very different from other cabbage wraps, which would just have like mincemeat and rice in. That's the Eastern European style. Exactly. Yeah. So this one having that, the Mallorcan chorizo, depending on the curing, it's not as hard. So if people are used to eating like Iberico chorizo that's been dry cured for a long time and it's really firm. And I know that's the style that seems to get exported probably because it keeps better. Yeah. But the the soft uh, chorizo, which is the, the Mallorcan version called Sobrasada, this is a completely different ball game. It's, it's just, it's melty in the mouth sort of meaty. It's good. And still the paprika garlicky sort of flavor, a meaty flavor. Yeah. It's good. So we talked about Mallorcan food back in season two, episode 11. So if you want to hear a bit more about some of those dishes and understand a bit more about what we're going on about with some of this, then do go back to that one as well. All right, we just got a couple more left. The next one, definitely one uh, that comes back to the sort of croquette tradition, but it's a bit of a twist on this again. Uh, this one is La Bomba, which we had in Barcelona. Oh, this was great. Yeah, this is definitely one of the most memorable dishes. Yeah, really great little Instagram dish as well like so it looks really cool but it also was delicious so you've got like it's it comes out and it's just this big ball on a plate a giant round croquette exactly but it has a surprise it does because la bomba specifically that means the bomb and this looks like an old-fashioned bomb bomb or the bomb (laughs) 
The bomb. The bomb. According to... Not the bomb. No, according to the exact translation, it's the bomb. But it's, it does look like an old-fashioned bomb from the cartoons that Wile E. Coyote might get handed or something and yeah, then he explodes. Because yeah. it's just like plain round, like full sphere going on. And the idea is that when you bite into it, it sort of explodes. Not only because of the optional hot sauce, which you don't have to have the hot sauce, but you I can have the hot, hot sauce. sauce. Of course. Who says no to hot sauce? I say yes to hot sauce every time. But also because rather than it being like a regular croquetta, uh, which would just have meat like blended with potato or with bechamel, um, this is like a ball of potato, but right in the middle, there's a big center full of meat and juices and gravy sort of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, that's really cool. So, this was actually, there's a story behind this one unlike some of the others, which are just, it's food. This one was invented at a place in Barcelona called La Cova Fumada. And I believe that means like the smoke cave, I think. Mm. I don't know, because it's, uh, it's Catalan, not Spanish, but I'm guessing Fumada yeah. is smoke. I think that's what it means. So this was invented in the mid-1950s. And although the name can definitely have some different interpretations, they tell us in their website that Apparently, the reason it's called the bomb is because one of the first customers who they ever had come in to try it as a test exclaimed, wow, this is a bomb <laughs> due to the unexpected hot sauce because they had no idea it was going to be spicy. Spice bomb. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, that's why. And they went, oh, it's the bomb. Okay. La bomba. Esto es la bomba. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I don't know if the origin story is completely true or if it's just a fun thing, but apparently la cova fumada invented this so definitely go and check them out they're in Barceloneta which is down near Barcelona Beach and the place where we had it where it was excellent was Lanchoveta in Gracia but you can get all of these on our article at foodfuntravel.com slash tapas podcast so you can find out our full list and get all the direct links now uh, last but definitely not least is the dish that you were talking about at the start of this segment the chickpeas in spinach the Hispanicas Con garbanzos. See, si. this, this is, is one of your favorites. This is one thing that we will always order. One, because I happen to be a spinach fan, and two, because I happen to be a chickpea fan. So you put the two together and you got a happy Meg. Yeah, and this dish is a real classic. It's a, it's a real classic in Seville, and it's a real exemplary dish in terms of showing how Spanish and that Moorish cuisine from North Africa, how they have combined, how the ingredients have come together to create this unique dish. So spinach and chickpeas, as well as cumin, all apparently made their way to Spain via the invasion of the Moors back in 711 AD that we talked about in previous episodes. And this dish involves them, but they blend it with breadcrumbs and vinegar and almonds. Once again, when we talked about Mm -hmm. gazpacho, we were talking about breadcrumbs, vinegar and almonds being like the Moorish version of gazpacho. It could have influenced some of those dishes today. And all of that goes together to make this wonderful blend, the, the greeny spinachy with the vinegary, vinegary flavor and the almonds to like give it that sort of undertone of earthiness. Uh, it's great. Love it. I, it's one of those dishes that I think you probably can't imagine what it's going to taste like exactly until you actually have it. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the, the chickpeas are not really ground up. They're like whole chickpeas yeah. that are thrown in there. So it's not this whole ground up It's not thing. a paste. It's actually no. like the spinach is not a paste either. So it's, it's full on just spinachy bits, chickpea bits mixed up with these ground almonds and breadcrumbs. 
And it's one of the few Spanish tapas dishes that whenever we do a tapas night at home, we make this all the time now. Yeah. It's not that difficult to make. It's a little bit of extra work, but it's something that we're just like, yeah. This, every time you eat it, you just remember that we were in Seville having this dish. And so you're like, yeah, this is like a little, little piece of our travel history that, exactly. that caught our imagination that one time and, and just keeps doing it. So yeah. yeah, when we last went back to Seville, had to get this as well. Good place to get this is Los Cuevas, which is in Triana on the west side of the river. But jump on our article, foodfuntravel.com slash tapas podcast to get the exact location. This dish is available in so many places. This is a it, Seville it, dish. It's a standard. So pretty much most places in Seville are going to have this on the menu. I don't think you'll be too disappointed. If it's a tapas bar, they probably have it. But outside of Seville, not seen it very much. It really is a, a Seville one. Mm. All right. That is it. Whew, three massive episodes. Yep. All on tapas. And we really only just like skimmed the top. There's so many other tapas dishes we could talk about, but I did a little bit of research on things and I was like, which has an actual history to it? Yeah. And the four we did in the last episode have actual histories. Where are some of the other ones? They're just like, it's a dish. It's tasty. Don't ask us where it came from. Just eat it. <laughs> this one, we put the pork with wine. This one, we put the pork with whiskey. Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, okay. Well, yeah, is there going to be history with that? Not really. Yeah. But there you go. So that's it. Tapas part three. Maybe there'll be a part four one day in the future. But for now, that is our, that's our lineup. Three episodes. If we can come up with some other more awesome tapas dishes with great histories, we might do a part four. Mm-hmm. Maybe next year or something. All right. So, yeah. If you enjoy the show, please rate and review. Five star is the correct rating. Other ratings are not as good, so we don't like them. Uh, If you don't like the show, stop listening to the show. Don't leave us a review because, you know, what what are you doing? Also, if there are any dishes that you would like us to research the history of and do an episode on, one that you know is really interesting or fascinating or one that you would just you know, like to find out more about, just email us. We would love to hear what you'd, you know, you'd like to hear about. So uh, email us at Megzi at Food Fun Travel, and we can definitely have a look at some of your listener suggestions and hopefully put together a couple of episodes for you. Yeah. And if you're a food guide or food expert in a destination that we've never talked about on this podcast, it could be because we've never been there. So, I mean, A, write us an email and let us know if, uh, if you want to host us at some point, because we always enjoy meeting guides and going out and do food tours. But B, also, if you feel confident at public speaking and jumping on a microphone and talking to us, you know, send us an email. Uh, pitch us. Let us know. And maybe we'll do something about your destination and you can mention your food tour at the same time. We'll see what happens. We're, we're all sharing, sharing Karen here. So, yeah. you know, if you've got a story to tell about some dishes from your destination and you are, you are in the food travel industry, uh, let us know. All right, that's it for Tapas. We will see you in a couple of weeks with the next episode. Not sure what that's going to be yet, but it's going to be something cool, I'm sure. It's going to make you drool. All right. Thanks for listening to The Dish. Don't forget to subscribe and keep this podcast on the air by giving us a five-star review on your preferred podcast app or channel. Also, come join our foodie community on Facebook in the Food Worth Travelling For Facebook group. Catch you next time.